Welcome to Music, Hope, Word, and Prayer, a podcast of rich music, hopeful prayer, and inspiring meditations with East Brentwood Presbyterian Church, a community church in the greater metropolitan area of Nashville, Tennessee. We are a faith community made up of a loving, welcoming family of believers in honest conversation with God. We seek to emulate the ministry of Jesus through compassionate service, with stimulating and relevant exploration of God's Word, and by sharing that Word and God's many blessings with our neighbors in Middle Tennessee and around the world. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining us. Uh, It's just Nate, our music director, and me, John Hilly, pastor at East Brentwood, uh, for today's episode. Hey, Nate, how are you feeling today? Happy? Joyful? I'd say I'm pretty happy today. Things are pretty good. You know, I'm not always... Life is always perfect. I'm not always happy. I'm sometimes I'm tired or overwhelmed, but today I'm feeling pretty happy. All right. And I understand that uh, you were delayed a little bit today because uh, there was a wreck on the way in for you. So fortunately, you were not involved in the wreck. Uh, um, so glad that you're here in one piece. Uh, hey, Nate, I've been reading uh, Doug Abrams' book of joy that documents the friendship between Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama and how those two spiritual giants exude a spiritual contentment. Uh, a joy, despite all the suffering that they had witnessed uh, throughout their life. Uh, it's a book study that we're doing here at the church, and I, I hope that you all uh, who may be listening will join us. We are offering it online and in person. Uh, you can go to our website to find out more information. But an interesting little tidbit in the book about the research that was conducted out of the Institute of Neuroscience and Psychology at the University of Glasgow Uh, They say that there are some fundamental emotions we all have as humans. Um, Nate, do you want to take a guess as to how many fundamental emotions they say we have? Sure. Uh, Let me think. Uh, I'm going to have to go four. Four? Four. Yeah. You you nailed it. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So what are those four? Uh, Let's see. Well, it's obviously fear. Let's see. Anger. Okay. Sadness and, yeah. and happiness. That probably rounds it up. Wow. Nate, did you read the book? Uh, no, I just, <laughs> I just know these things. Okay. Yes. Uh, fear, anger, sadness, and the other one being joy or happiness. And what follows in the book is that exploring joy is nothing less than exploring what makes the human experience satisfying. Now, my work as a pastor puts me in situations where I see, and quite honestly, I can feel, uh, uh, all of those emotions. And in this episode, I'm going to reflect on a recent experience I was privileged to be a part of, and I will reflect on the writing of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, which I put a link in this episode title for you to um, to see and to read. And I think, uh, although it's not uh, dis- uh, distinctly said by Paul, I think all four of those core emotions are present, certainly the one around anger, because he's pretty frustrated with that church in Corinth that can't seem to get along, and they have some uh, bad thinking in his mind, and so he's writing this la- letter not only with a, a sense of sadness that they've fallen away into these behaviors, but also a sense of anger, but but also joy. And the joy is as he focuses upon uh, the resurrection. So um, uh, the experience uh, that I'm going to discuss was the privilege of being present with someone in their final hours of life. It was just me uh, in the room with a person. And I had a time to think about the matter of resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, and what are we promised? And two things, quite frankly, um, uh, that we don't want to spend much time thinking about are 
death and resurrection. So this episode sounds a bit um, heavy, I know, but stay with me. And uh, 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 Nate has some great music. So uh, what is it, Nate? What do you have in mind? Yeah, when we think joy, we do think the resurrection. So I have um, a wonderful piece, I Will Rise, uh, sung by the soloist Sierra Furman, and then joined by our choir, and then a medley around resurrection hymns that you'll probably all recognize. And the extent of the medley uh, depends upon how long I talk. So let's go ahead and get underway. And here is the opening prayer. God, do whatever you must in my life to make me who you created me to be. Amen. There's a peace I've come to know. So these are the words that Paul writes to the church at Corinth, reading a little bit in chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which you also stand, through which you also are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have died. And then he appeared to James, and then to all of the apostles, and last of all, 
as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He continues on with these words. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain. And for your faith, it has been in vain. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. Now, it is one thing to read these words from the Apostle Paul, say, in a classroom where a young theology student studies. It's another thing to read them to a person who is in her final hours of being alive, as I did the other night. The room, quiet except for the hum of the oxygen, and the footsteps of death can be heard coming down the hallway. That was a privilege I had as I sat with a church member. It was a sacred moment to be able to read. I even sang a little, and then was able to FaceTime her children, one in Seattle, the other in D.C., who were going to be unable to get there in time to be with her because time was short. Such a moment gives the minister a quiet, honest moment to reflect it. And it gets personal, not only because the question of resurrection and life after death is core to the Christian faith and the minister or priest is, in this situation, God's representative. It gets personal because someday I will be where she was. So will you. So will everyone you love. It may happen, God forbid, tomorrow or not for several years, but uh, let me just go ahead and say it. We're all going to die. <laughs> How's that for an uplifting thing to hear as you give your time to listen to this episode? And I don't know if you're doing so while you're commuting to work or doing errands or sitting still with a cup of coffee in the morning as you listen to this, but stay with me and hear me out. I thought I would bring you into the conversation that in this passage, the Apostle Paul writes about resurrection. And now, it is considered bad taste in our time to talk about dying. I mean, Shirley Guthrie once said, death and sin has been replaced, has replaced, I should say, sex as a subject too obscene for polite conversation. And being quite honest, we don't talk much about resurrection either. For instance, there's a story that a pastor was presenting a children's sermon, and during the time with the children, he asked the children if they knew what the resurrection was, and a boy raised his hand, the pastor called on him, and the little boy said, I know that if you have a resurrection that lasts for more than four hours, you're supposed to call the doctor. Now, it could be said that the whole of the Christian faith stands or falls with anyone claim if it does, then it is the claim that God raised the crucified Jesus from the dead. Without faith in a risen and living Christ, there would be no Christianity. It was not Jesus' ethical teachings and examples, as important as they are, or his sayings, as important as they were, in which we try to live out here, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. 
or his noble death that gave birth to the Christian church and made it spread. It was the news of his resurrection, and we have seen that it was only because the earlier followers first believed in the risen Christ that the first Christians looked back to ask what the meaning of his birth, life, and death meant. And Paul writes here, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and we are all people most to be pitied. Let me give you a little bit of background here. The argument that Paul is making addresses this denial of Jesus' bodily resurrection that was present among intellectuals who were in Corinth who held to this ancient Greek teaching that disparaged matter like bodies and material things. They believed that only the unseen world of the spirit was important. Spiritual things had been trapped in material things like the way you might get your car stuck in mud. Once you get out of the mud... You then hose your car off. And Jesus was spirit. He had had a material thing, his body, that was hosed off by death. So technically, there was no bodily resurrection, and they weren't interested in it. And Paul argues that if Jesus had not been raised bodily, then no one has been saved from their sins and their other problems, including death. And Paul argues that the body with which Jesus has been raised is not like our bodies, which are mortal and die, but an imperishable spiritual body. And what is more, even as we occupy our body, we must pay attention to what our imperfect bodies are doing while we are alive. Bodies matter to Paul, mine, yours, our neighbor's. Okay, so that's background. And and let me also say, Paul's not writing a kind of tightly clad systematic theology here or a philosophy. He's just responding to a specific situation. So back to this line where the apostle Paul says, if Christ is not raised, then your faith is in vain. By faith, Paul is not talking about what we think. It's more than what we believe. It's how we live. And that brings me to another experience that I had last week, during which I spent part of the day with a leadership group in Nashville. I was on the planning team for a day during which we bring together a fascinating array of Nashville's leaders, folks who you'll see quoted in important subjects uh, in local and national press. And we have them interact with each other around an important subject. In this case, the theme was diversity, equity, and inclusion. And There were many speakers during the day, panelists, different people on panels would tell the story. And and of the many things that caught my attention, I was surprised to hear a story of three individuals telling their disability story. Uh, They spoke of how they wanted to be regarded, um, differently able, don't use the R word. They would say they have some special abilities, and their special abilities create some special opportunities for them, like they get a chance to sit up close at Nashville Predators games or Tennessee Titans. They don't have to go up to the Section 300. They're close down to watch the game. It has some advantages. But one of the panelists, he he was a high school student from Murfreesboro. Uh, He was on a panel with this gentleman who's confined to a wheelchair and also a leader in the deaf community. And this young man, who had been featured on national news with Lester Holt, he has special abilities and struggles with walking. And if he has to go long distances, he has to sit and be transported in a wheelchair. And what caught my attention was as he was speaking to the group of leaders, he said, when people see him struggling to walk or sitting in the wheelchair, what he does for them is that he reminds us all that someday we're going to be like him. 
we're all going to be like him. Get this. He said, when we are old, like when we are 60. Folks, I'm already there. And then he said, so we better start thinking about it and preparing for it. Now, the room was full of people who are all about excellence. Leadership is in their DNA, and they took note. That we all need to take note, and I mean in a positive, uh, grace-filled way. You know, we may try to fool ourselves and other people. We may do everything we can to look young. We count calories. We exercise faithfully. We may try to eat better. We may prolong life with medical techniques undreamt of a generation ago. And we may try to live as if there are no tomorrows. But finally, it won't work. It could be said we live in denial. You know, we want to know about life beyond the grave. And in the time since I sat with a parishioner who's in her final hours of drawing breath, here is what I've been thinking about. It is clear that Paul is speaking about life beyond the grave. And that may be the only time you think about it, when we attend a funeral or a celebration of a friend or loved one. And when we think of the resurrection, uh, it's probably the only time we think about it when we attend the funeral of someone who was, is being buried or has been cremated and who was part of the Christian faith tradition. But more than that, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what I came up with. It's not of interest after we die, but it could change life now. Resurrection does not just happen at the point of death, but now, in many small and large ways. And in some ways, it is something we need to pay attention to now while we are still alive. Now, elsewhere, the Apostle Paul uh, sets his eyes beyond what can be seen, and he declares that God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you can see that. And Paul says, we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. So death is at work in us, but life in you, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. And then finally in verse 10 through 18, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all measure because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen, for what is seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. So what are we to make of the death that is at work in us and the life of Jesus that is to be visible in us? So for the last several weeks, we've been underway with a series called Ecclesia, the church. It's about the church, and it's about the church ongoing change. It's about the church in transition. It's about more than just the church being in transition. It's about facing how do we go forward? What do we leave behind and what do we take forward into the future? And for many people out there, uh, there is talk of the church dying and that we are in denial of this death. One of the voices that I've been moved by and enjoyed reading about is the writing of Conrad Kaiser. He brings a unique perspective to me. Uh, I'm a Presbyterian pastor. He's a Mennonite pastor. He's a professor of sociology. 
Uh, he's younger than I am. And he's living with Parkinson's. And in that honesty of facing his own diminishing bodily and facing his limitation, he's dug into that and has found that it has enabled him to find a new purpose. And I find his writing very interesting because he writes not only about he as an individual, but also of the changing nature of the church. So I've included some links to his work in this episode. His personal journey, combined with his vantage point of being a sociologist, brings him to acknowledge that the church is, like many of us, living in denial, and the church is diminishing, and the church needs to let go of what was. And so while I'm talking, I'm thinking both as you, the individual, but also as the church, which I am responsible for as a minister. And I'm wondering, what will it take for us to release ourselves and the church to the loving embrace of Jesus, to be converted anew to the power of Jesus's resurrection at work here and now among us and within us, and to relinquish what is peripheral to our purpose for the sake of what is central to God's purpose. And I would venture to say that in doing so, we will experience the anger, the sadness, the fear, but also the joy. And he believes it's time to let go of what was to release our dying churches to God and to trust the resurrection of Jesus Christ rather than our own ingenuity. And this remains the singular truth upon which we must rely, that in other words, we let the Spirit be the guiding spirit of our lives and of the churches. So about you as we wrap up, I don't know where you are feeling about your faith these days. Uh, Perhaps it's strong, perhaps it's fragile. Maybe you have more questions than answers, and maybe you're wanting to set your questions down for a while, such as, is the resurrection, what about it, all that. Just set it down and to hold on to what makes sense to you right now. And maybe it is something you want to explore deeper. But no matter the state of your faith, I doubt you would say it is futile, as Paul is saying, that your faith is in vain. But you may be asking, does my faith matter? And if you're wondering if your faith is in vain, your faith is not in vain. Your faith is not in vain because your faith is the means by which we participate in healing a broken world. Your faith is the place you stand when everything around you has crumbled. Uh, Your faith is the place you stand, um, uh, and it's the word you speak when all around you have lost hope. Or to say the way Paul says it, Christ is resurrected, and he's resurrecting us. So my point today, resurrection is not just for life beyond the grave or of our concern for when we die. Resurrection is new life now. That's why Paul says our labor is not in vain. So think about these words. I'm going to leave it with you, a saying from what Shirley Guthrie wrote about the resurrection. The foundation, center, and goal of Christian faith is not suffering and death, but new life. Not tragedy, but victory beyond tragedy. Christian faith is faith in a suffering servant who is and will be risen Lord. The God we meet in Christ is indeed a God of self-giving, self-suffering love, but also a God of powerful, liberating love. 
And to be a Christian is not just to experience the forgiving grace of God. It is to experience the renewing grace of God that empowers us to get up and move out into active, joyful service of God and fellow human beings. And to be a Christian is not just to experience the presence of God in the depths of our own and other suffering. It is to expect the active work of God in our individual lives, in the church, and in the world to create a new humanity and a new world in which the life, justice, and peace of the kingdom of God will finally triumph over the powers of sin, evil, suffering, injustice, and death. Why is this so? It is because He is risen. That is the first and last word about what it means to believe and live as Christians. The resurrection of Christ is the one event in history that gives meaning to all of history, including our own. Sitting alone with a person in the final hours of drawing breath, there wasn't a revelatory band of angels, but a still small voice of confirmation that this is so, and it was enough. Here's the closing prayer. Wrap your hopeful presence around us, O God, all whose bodies, spirits, and hearts need healing or hope. May our lives reflect your resurrection here, now, and may we be lifted up to serve you and all of your children in the world. Thanks be to God. joining East Brentwood Presbyterian Church today for music, hope, word, and prayer. To learn more about the life and ministry of EBPC, our commitment to being a Matthew 25 congregation, or to support this ministry with a financial contribution, visit us at our website, ebpctn.org, or visit us on Facebook at East Brentwood PC, or subscribe to our YouTube channel, EBPC videos. Thank you.